lesson of modern education is Woke kids step, wise kids step, college kids step I'm woke Read more, learn more, change the globe You must learn This is Woke Wise College Kids According to RAIN, the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization, 11% of all students experience rape or sexual assault through physical force, violence, or incapacitation. Among undergraduate students, 23% of females and 5% of males experience rape or sexual assault through physical force, violence, or incapacitation. And 4% of students have experienced stalking since entering college. Welcome to WokeWise College Kids. I'm your host, Dr. Erin, founder of B Preppy College Coaching. This episode is dedicated to addressing sexual assault on college campuses. When you think about college, you think about freedom, dating, and parties. However, there's not enough discussion, especially with new students, about the darker side of college. College has so many factors that make it a breeding ground for sexual violence and misconduct. So much so that the government has regulations that govern the reporting of claims, training of staff, and support of victims. The federal policy is called Title IX, and every institution is required to have a basic policy. You should familiarize yourself with it, understand what constitutes misconduct or sexual violence, and know where you can report claims of sexual assault. This information is found on your college's website and in your student handbook. You should do this for yourself your friends, and your classmates. Our guest on this episode will explain all about Title IX and more. Dr. Penny Smith is the founder of Legria Technologies and Consulting. She's an author and a higher education executive and a campus date rape survivor. She's a first-generation college student from Fisk University. She has over 19 years experience in government and higher education. She will talk about her experience as a date break survivor, as well as give tips for prevention and how to become a survivor. After the episode, be sure to check out BePreppy.com for more resources on sexual assault. April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Check with your campus, check your campus calendar, and participate in events to learn more and support this cause. If this podcast triggers any experiences, please speak with someone at your school's counseling center or licensed therapist in your community. You can also call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-4673 or access RAIN's online chat service at rain.org slash get help. You can find this information on our episode resources. And now our conversation. Welcome, Dr. Smith. Thank you for joining us today. How are you? I am well. Thank you so much, Erin, for inviting me to your podcast. Thank you for coming. I'm really excited about this topic. I think it's something very important that our students need to know. It's not really discussed besides that time when you hit orientation and give you all of the student handbook stuff, and then you don't really hear about it until something happens to you. So we want to really be proactive on sexual assault and really want our listeners to understand Title IX. It's something that sometimes professionals have trouble with. Don't you agree? Absolutely. So this is a very timely conversation, especially given what's happening at the federal U.S. Department of Education level. So I'm excited and, and glad that you're shining a light on the topic. 
Yes. So before we jump into our main discussion, I'd like to ask our guests some really fun questions that really make you think and um, really get you warmed up. So what college did you attend? I attended Fisk University, which is a private HBCU located in Nashville, Tennessee. Cool. I think we know some people that have all uh, connected to Fisk. I know uh, we have a, a colleague that reps Fisk all the time. So I'm, uh, it sounds like it was a fun campus. It absolutely was a fun campus. And I still wasn't ready for what I was going to experience there. Um, I grew up in small town Kentucky and had not been in a situation where we were the we were the majority. So um, in my high school, it was about around maybe 10 percent okay. um, or less um, African-American population or minority population. So Fisk was a, a, a very different experience for me, but one that I needed and cherished to this day. Definitely. I attended Southern University for my graduate uh, program, and I went to a, a PWI, a predominantly white institution. So I could definitely tell the difference in the culture. Uh, both have its benefits, but definitely I understand the culture of, of HBCUs is very unique that I encourage any student, no matter race, color, creed, culture, should experience. Definitely. And, you know, I, so I was that student that, um, you know, people expected that I was automatically going to be able to connect with um, being in a majority scenario with African-Americans. But in fact, when I got there, I, I, I really felt like I was different than any of them. Mm-hmm. I'm small town, country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My nickname was Reba McIntyre. <laughs> And, um, you know, Fisk has a tradition and a legacy of students who come from other college educated families. So um, I'm first generation college student. And so there were several there whose grandparents had went to Meharry Medical School. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about a student population who uh, had a higher percentage than usual um, that were legacies of professionals or what what W.E.B. Du Bois would call the talented 10th. So that was my first foray with engaging that population at all. So I didn't initially feel like I, I fit in. Really? Okay. That no, I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, I think um, most people... Pretty- oh, no, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I think most people don't really associate diversity with HBCU, but it really is diverse. You're not going to meet um, just one type of student there. You're going to have a multitude of of people and it's still going to be a rich diversity of culture. And you're, you're, you can meet a whole lot of people like you, but you can meet a whole lot of people uh, with different backgrounds, which makes, I think makes the campus and the experience much more interesting. Oh, absolutely. So, you, you know, for me, I ended up making my way and, had multiple groups of friends. So I had the small town people from Kentucky group of friends. Um, I ended up, um, I played college basketball. So I had my teammates um, as friends and I did well as a student. I was what I would call a scared straight student because my parents told me that um, Fisk was way too expensive for me to go and get C's. So that's great advice. <laughs> by the time I, 
<laughs> yes. Yeah, so I graduated summa cum laude. And so I had, uh, I guess I had a, a, a nice group of nerd friends and then I ended up joining a sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. And so I had my sorority sisters. So by the time I left, I started feeling like I didn't fit in. But by the time I left, I had different friends that, and that didn't always intersect, but I always felt like I had a place for myself. Mm-hmm. So I went from not really feeling like I fit into at the end, um, fitting in in multiple different populations of students. Cool. So it sounds like you had a great experience. What was your favorite college memory? Probably the best college memories that I have. It really wasn't necessarily a single moment, but it was just the the history. It was always being kind of hit in the face with the history. Um, of the institution and the celebrity Mm pop-ups. Nobody told me that celebrities popped up on HBCUs (laughs) the way they do, but it would be, um, so for example, Stevie Wonder would pop up simply because his daughter um, was in my class. And so she attended, yes, she, um, Aisha attended Fisk for about a year. And so um, yeah, so you have that, then you, you know, everyone, whenever someone was in town, like, you know, Yolanda Adams was doing a concert in the city. So she just came on campus and was singing. Um, Blair Underwood was in town for something else and was walking around campus one day and was in the dorm. So <laughs> it was, it was not unusual to have celebrity pop-ups and who would have thought. So, uh, being exposed to such a rich history. And then, um, you know, the, the kind of gift of celebrity pop-ups, that, that's definitely part of my favorite college memory. That, I think that's pretty unique and pretty fun to think back on that. So we are going to hop into our main questions. Tell, tell the listeners what you do and why you do it. Yes. So I am the CEO of Allegria Technologies and Consulting. And Allegria is the Spanish word for joy. And the mission of my company is utilizing technology to restore the joy to victims of violence. And I started my company back in 2013. And it was after my professional life and personal life collided. Um, I had spent 23 years being silent about losing my virginity to an acquaintance rape at age 15 from um, a guy who was in college. And it was my time being a higher education administrator where I heard a story that was eerily too similar to my own. And at that point, I decided I was going to break my own silence and write a book. And I did. Um, I wrote the book. And after the book, I kept getting asked, what's next? What's the next book? Um, And I kind of had a little flip response to it. I would say, you know, I don't need any more personal tragedies for material for a book. So I don't have any interest in writing another book. And I decided at some point that I wanted to have a more educated response (laughs) than that. And so I started to really think about, you know, what, what really would be next. And I started to think about my, my real niche and my hope would be that women would never need my book because they were able to avoid or they were able to have domestic violence or dating violence um, or sexual assault prevented before it could even happen to even have to need my book. So I started thinking about 
um, women who were in high school and college as being um, really the most susceptible to having these kinds of things mm-hmm. happening mm-hmm. to them. But I also thought about the fact that they they may not initially think about heading to a bookshelf for a solution. And so I decided that it would really come in the form of a, of a tech mm-hmm. or an app for this population. And so I birthed at that point Keys to Coping, which is a campus sexual assault online reporting tool. And then from there, I started to conduct trainings as a companion to Keys to Coping called Keys to Courage. So that's kind of how I ended up. I ended up breaking my own personal silence, writing a book, and then thinking about how I would go about a solution for prevention. Oh, that's pretty cool. I think a lot of, if you are a continual listener, you'll find that a lot of the guests we have on this podcast, they don't really, if you look at their degrees and their background and what they're doing now, sometimes they're linked, sometimes it's Mm -hmm. not. So the real key is purpose and passion is really what, once you get out and you really find what fuels you, it may you may find that if you're lucky in college or once you do postgrad that's where my aha moment came so there's always something that you're passionate about and you've you've uh taken a tragedy and you turn it around to help others so you do have a career in higher education you know all the laws you know what's going on in the landscape can you tell our listeners what Title IX and the Cleary Act is. They may hear about it here and there, maybe not in those exact terms, but what what are these things and what do students need to know about it and why is it important? Yes, and so I'll say um, this, that yes, my career in higher education, one of, um, so my career in higher education has been in academic affairs, But as part of my role in academic affairs, one of the committees that I was assigned to was the student misconduct or the student judiciary committee at the institution where I was working. So, you know, here I have basically spun off a career in my own company from something that was an indirect experience through my work as a higher education administrator, because I'm not in student affairs. Uh, Student affairs professionals are more likely to be more intimately familiar with Title IX and the Cleary Act. And so what they are, um, it's two federal laws that overall protect the safety of students on our nation's campuses, as well as high schools. So for example, Title IX is a law that applies to both K-12 school districts and colleges and universities. It's been around since 1972. And it protects people from gender-based discrimination in education programs or activities that receive any kind of federal financial assistance. And so you would think off the top of your head, gender-based discrimination, the connection to campus sexual assault is that if an individual's basic physical safety isn't protected and they're not able to engage in the educational process, that's a form of discrimination. Uh, when it comes to the Cleary Act, it's it's really a consumer protection law because what it does is it requires campuses to publish their campus crime statistics as well as their campus crime policies and how they address any type of criminal incident that happens on their campuses. 
So as a student, um, I definitely encourage you to get to know and be familiar with both of these laws. Um, they are the laws that govern how your campus keeps you safe, how they report crimes like domestic violence, stalking, or sexual assault, as well as how they provide you with tools and resources to make you aware of how to avoid being a victim and how to advocate for prevention. So those are the, the reasons why it's important for students to, to know about them. And at the federal level, Title IX is actually under um, our, our Secretary of Education has changed the way um, this law is read and some of the details related to the law. And what I would do is I would suggest um, any student to go to websites like Know Your Nine. And Know Your Nine is a website that can give you a breakdown of all the various changes from small changes to nuanced, smaller changes that are being proposed. Right now, that law is under, it's, it's open for comment. And so what happens is anytime there's a regulation proposed change, there's a public comment period. And so the site Know Your Nine will take you from giving you information about what's changing and also taking you through the steps of how to actually respond and submit a public comment. So I, I encourage all students to, if you can, take, take the time to at least get, to, get familiar with how the institution is, is legally required to respond. And if you feel so compelled, follow the steps on the site Know Your Nine to be able to submit a response to our Secretary of Education. Those are all good resources. And for the most part, students can look at their student handbook, their website. There's always a Title IX coordinator to learn more. It's probably going to be in orientations and things like that. So definitely if you're a first-year student or if you're a senior listening to this and you're graduating next year, you'll be heading to college next year, make sure you pay attention to that. I know a lot of times you have a lot of information thrown at you, but make sure if you, when you hear Title IX or coordinator or student handbook that you, your ears perk up and you take advantage of that information. Absolutely. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, as part of the, some of the training programs that I deploy on campuses, one of the sections in that training asks and queries the students, do they know their Title IX director or mm -hmm. their Title IX coordinator? Um, I was at one institution. It was an HBCU in the Midwest. I won't say which one it was, but the majority of the students in the training did not know who the campus Title IX director was. And one of, one of the issues was that this individual who was the Title IX director was also the director of the Career Center. So when I told them the name of the person, the students in the crowd all said, but she's the yeah. Career Center director. Yeah. And that was true. But she was also the Title IX director. So something else to think about is that if you are at a small institution, so I would say if it's less than 5,000 students, that it's possible that your Title IX director may also have a dual role at the institution. So they could be 
um, providing a, another role or, or leading another area on campus, as well as being the Title IX director. So keep that in mind that during orientation, if you don't hear anything else about Title IX, don't zone out about who that point person is on your campus, because everything related to campus, sexual assault, domestic violence, dating violence or stalking will all go through that single point of contact. So definitely uh, make it a point to know who they are. Now, that's good information. So I'm bumping along as a student, enjoying my time, doing what students do. We've both been college students. How can students lessen their chances of being in the situation? Either way, being the accused or being the victim, it's very unfortunate sometimes because it. We are talking about this because of the different subset of, of students we're talking about. We're talking about uh, 18 to 21 year old. Uh, a lot of times it happens in the first year just because of the naivete and and not knowing the real consequences of your action can have on your academic and personal life. So you just kind of you, you're just really not really in the zone to think about Title IX when you're going out. Uh, that's not on students' minds, of course. But what can students do right. to lessen their right. chances of being in the situation? Yes. So I think understanding the nature of these cases is important. So we know that statistically one in five women are, are raped in college. Alcohol is often involved. Most of them are with acquaintances or people they know, people they may have even had a previous relationship with. Um, and so, and, and the other thing is that often ha it oftentimes happens early and sometimes in conjunction with athletic events. So that first part of uh, like the fall semester, especially if your school has a football team and it's a popular team. Um, so there's, there's these nuances of alcohol, acquaintances and athletics and athletic events. Um, so keep kind of that triple A in mind that those are some things that you should think about, that if you're going to drink alcohol, make sure that first of all, if you're not 21, you're not supposed to be drinking, period. But even if you are, um, the, most schools have um, amnesty policies that if something like the unthinkable happens to you and you were drinking, you're not going to be disciplined for it. So don't let that be a reason why you don't step up and report because you know you were drinking. But definitely keep in mind that that is typically part of what what is going on in many of those cases. In the cases that I heard um, as um, a member of the Student Judiciary Committee, alcohol was involved. It was we were playing an alcohol game and. Um, he didn't see how much I was drinking because I started drinking later than he was drinking. So he's claiming he didn't know she was drunk. She was like, he should have known because I was stumbling around. And then the unthinkable happened. And it's, it's, it's his story versus her story. Um, and so I see if anything, I would say first and foremost, the alcohol piece is the one to always keep in mind about not, not drinking too much, uh, being responsible with drinking because it's it's one of those deals where I, mm -hmm. I'm torn about it because a part of me now that I'm an adult and administrator, I just want to tell <laughs> students just don't drink. You know right? the reality but, is but, that that's not gonna yeah. happen. 
But, right. We know that that the reality is, is that goes in one ear and out the other. But definitely responsible drinking. I, I can't stress that enough. Um, and keep in mind that anyone who has had too much to drink legally cannot consent to sexual activity. End of story. I don't care if you've if you have a past history of having sex and you were OK with it before. If this person is incapacitated due to alcohol, they cannot give consent. So those are just some of the things that I would say in terms of prevention, kind of my ABCs of, of prevention as well are it's accountability. So if you are out and you're at a party, make sure that you are with a group of friends or trusted associates that you can hold each other accountable. That if you see a person starting to act not quite like themselves, don't let them just be by themselves. B is for buddy up. So being accountable, making sure that you're watching your surroundings and watching changes in people's behavior to where if you see that mm, maybe they've had too much to drink, don't leave them alone. So you buddy up the buddy system. The C in prevention is for code words. I always encourage whether it's a group of sorority sisters, friends, a group of teammates, have a group of people where you have code words for when you need someone to help you, whether it's, I need somebody to come and pick me up. I need you to come and interrupt this conversation, whatever it is, come up with your own code word that of course, nobody knows, but you and your intimate group and be be willing to be, be the kind of buddy that checks in. So you check in and you come up with a code word that you can be in casual conversation. And if you say this word, your friend or your acquaintance knows that you need help exiting a situation. So those are just some of the, the very basic, um, quick tips that I would be able to offer um, to help someone lessen their chance of being mm -hmm. in one of these horrific situations. I definitely situations. agree. So you gave the scenario just about, I think when people think sexual assault, they think rape. But in the, in just in my experience in working with students, there's also things called sexual misconduct, which is a laundry list of inappropriate things that could really, uh, a student or, or someone could really report and say, this is inappropriate contact. It's not only talk. Um, can you give some of those definitions of, sexual misconduct, whether it's harassment and it's appropriate touching, cyberbullying, um, even revenge porn, like if you go and put that out. So what are some of the other instances or definition of misconduct that students should be aware of? Because sometimes, you know, they don't even know they're a victim, but they feel they feel that they've been uh, violated, but they say, okay, well, I wasn't raped or, oh, I didn't rape her mm -hmm. um, or him or whatever. It could be that situation, but there could still be some other mm -hmm. inappropriate actions. What are some other things that they could, um, that's under sexual misconduct that they might encounter? Encounter. Yes. And so it's, that's a great question. And, and I will have to preempt it with, so one of the changes with the Title IX law, with the new Title IX regulations, is that that definition will change. Yeah. That's important. It's important because what it means is that now it's, it's going to become a more stringent definition 
in order for a person to be held responsible for violating Title IX and for committing sexual misconduct. Okay. So that's that's part of a change that's very controversial, especially yes. to victim advocates. Um, so those definitions are changing. Um, here's what I recommend, and and, and I, I hate to kind of take a stance knowing that with that particular regulation in lingo, in limbo, that what I say now in about 60 days yes. may not even be relevant. And so that's that's the unfortunate piece. So I, I'm, I'm going to take us I'm going to take a stab at it from more um, of a of a looking at it from from the yes, perspective yes. of a continuum <laughs> of, uh, of events. Right. Knowing that, again, that we don't know where that definition is going to end up lying on the continuum for there to be. Some yeah, sort of so I would definitely say if, if there was no um, law in place, what would still what would still make somebody feel uncomfortable? That's my definition. Yes. Okay. Good deal. Um, so for example, um, and, and I talk about this a lot in my training. So let's say a, a, there was a couple and they broke up and let's say that during the course of their relationship, they engaged in sexting. Maybe they exchanged, um, naked pictures of themselves or videos or what have you. They break up, the breakup goes bad. And one of the parties, I don't want to just say it's just guys who do it. But let's just say one of the parties in that relationship either sent them out, put it, posted it on social media. So that's, you know, revenge, that's revenge porn. Um, or they told them that they were going, they threatened to send it to a group of people. That's sextortion. Um, so those are two things that don't necessarily involve um, a person being sexually assaulted but that is sexual misconduct that laws are now changing across states to include cyberbullying and revenge porn as um, of official crimes that are codified. So that is going to change state to state. But I can tell you now that many states are, are adopting the addition of cyber crimes um, in their code of, of criminal behaviors. So that's just an example of, yeah, the person wasn't actually physically violated, but obviously a person was threatened with the use of a sexual image um, and they weren't comfortable with it. So that's that that's, you know, on one end of the continuum of, you know, sexual misconduct. Um, other things that can happen. This is an example that I've used in my trainings as well is let's say, for example, we're talking about um, an, um, a sorority, for example. And let's say that the sorority uh, members challenge other ladies that want to be in the sorority, that if they want to be in the sorority, they have to go strip mm -hmm. for the football team. And so many students think like, oh, well, we get it that, you know, you're telling somebody to go strip. Yes, that that is one victim. So you have a person who's you have a situation where they're basically being hazed and coerced into disrobing themselves for people they don't know and not doing it voluntarily. They're co it's coercion. So, again, they're not assaulted, but they were coerced into a, um, a sexually based activity that they wouldn't have normally engaged in 
without that coercion and without it being in exchange for membership in a group. The other part about that is that people oftentimes forget that, for example, if that scenario were carried out, that the football players are actually victims too, because you have a person imposing their naked body without their permission. And so I use that example to say that a, a lot of students think like, oh, well, the foot, you know, there's only one victim here. You know, the, the mm-hmm. ladies that wanted to be in the sorority. And I'm like, no, because, you know, if, if you don't ask someone to take off their clothes, they shouldn't just come jump in front of you mm-hmm. and start to undress themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I'm just, I show that as an example of that, even that one hazing act produced two victims of sexual misconduct, right? So those are just just some of the ways in which there's a, a continuum of sexual misconduct that can come by way of things like sextortion, um, revenge porn, mm-hmm. or even coercion are, are some of the different categories of sexual misconduct that can happen without a person even being physically okay. touched. So regardless of the definition of misconduct, whatever happens, can you kind of briefly give us a a process of what happens if I'm a victim, what should I do? And then on the other side, if I am accused, what happens, what should I do? And what would be at risk if I'm accused? Sure. So I would my, ironically, my advice to either um, a person who was an alleged perpetrator or a person who is reporting as a victim, my advice to both of them is going to be the same. And that I know that's probably going to sound like, oh, that's suspect. You're going to tell them the same thing. Yes, I am. Because what I'm going to tell them both is that they both need to um, capture as much information about their scenario as the victim. It needs to be reported to preferably the Title IX director on campus if they can find that person or if they have a faculty member or another staff member on campus, faculty and staff are categorized as people who are um, campus security authorities. And so these are individuals who are supposed to be trained to receive reports. Um, so if, if a student has a person, a staff member or a faculty member that they feel more comfortable with talking to, I would definitely say to utilize them or go straight to the Title IX director. Give the report to that person and anything, whether it's screenshots, text messages, phone call ledgers, be prepared to provide all of this information as evidence to support your position. Same thing as if you were being if you were accused, I would tell a person that it once they are notified that they're accused or they think they're going to be accused. Same thing. Go and talk to the Title IX person to say, I think someone may may accuse me of something that I didn't do. And they can go provide their information and their data and evidence the same way. Um, depending on how this, this Title IX legislation or regulation is going to go, it's really gone are the days that either party can take a report or an anticipated report lightly. Um, yes. I'm really to the point to where if, if I was asked um, by a person who said, what do you think? You know, my, my son or my child has been accused. Honestly, I would tell them, I would tell them to get an attorney. We're mm-hmm. at that point. 
um, mm-hmm. given the changes in the regulations. Um, and either way it goes, attorney or not, I still say make sure that you collect as much information as possible because everything is going to be, no stone will be left unturned. So anything that you mm-hmm. have in your possession, whether it's digitally or, or any other w- method, be prepared to provide that to the Title IX director. Yes. So after there's going to be a whole process, um, when I've worked with students, sometimes I feel like they don't realize that college, sometimes it doesn't feel like the real world, but college Mm -hmm. is the real world. And it's not as in, so high school, you had repercussions, but college there's now, or not now, but there's a always a possibility that a victim could really press charges outside of the school. Absolutely. Um, and so you could have two different sets, sets of sh- sanctions and charges. You could lose your um, ability to enroll in school that could suspend you. And also you could have legal charges because just because there's a Title IX violation does not neglect that there's still legal ramifications to your actions. Absolutely. Um, so what is your perspective on what do you tell students about the consequences of getting into these situations? And the really the 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 real reason just to prevent it, don't even try not to even be engaged in this type of situation where these things could happen. Absolutely. And so, yes, there are consequences abound and they're growing. Um, so a person can be, like you said, suspended or completely expelled from the institution. Um, a lot of institutions now are getting to the point to where they are transcripting the results of some of these student misconduct res- um, um, decisions. Mm-hmm. So, and it's especially, so I, I give talks to NCAA athletes and my message to them is nowadays you have to be an athlete who has not even been accused. You have to be an unaccused athlete to ensure yeah. that you're not going to face any ramifications from these scenarios. Many institutions that I work with have um, character contracts that even if you're accused, you're off the team. Your, your, Mm. your scholarship is gone. Um, and so it's getting to the point that some institutions won't even recruit students where they have been subject to a student misconduct hearing. And this was the allegation. So again, what I tell students nowadays, athlete or not prevention is the best medicine. And at this point you can ill afford to even be accused of this type of, of, of sexual misconduct. So making sure that you always understand your surroundings and prevent even the possibility of an accusation is where we are today. Exactly. Well, you've given us a lot of great information. Of course, there'll be more on bepreppy.com, our blog, but for now, before we wrap up, tell our listeners um, especially the students, how to reach you and what services or support you're able to give them? Yes. So um, I can be reached on my website is allegriatech.com and I'll spell that for you. It's www.allegria 
T-E-K.com, AllegriaTech.com is my website. All of the services that I provide are there. I can also be reached via email, which is CEO at AllegriaTech.com. So it's again, CEO at A-L-E-G-R-I-A-T-E-K.com. Those are the two ways to reach out to me. Okay. And I'm pretty sure I'm kind of guessing if they wanted you to come in for a talk, whether it's a sorority or another organization or anything that uh, talks about sexual assault. I know sexual assault month is coming up. There's a lot of programming. Um, So I'm sure students, student leaders, even campus administrators can reach out to you as an expert on this topic. Absolutely. And students can also recommend me to be a part of their programming. I know a lot of student affairs professionals um, sometimes defer to students because they want to bring in individuals that they think you would want to learn from. So definitely feel free if you are a student to make a recommendation for my services. My programming, the training is called Keys to Courage. And it's basically to give you the solutions you need and the courage to stand up and prevent acts of sexual assault and violence. Well, great. We'll definitely have all of that information in the episode description, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So we'll definitely have that there so they can go and reference that. Thank you so much for your time. And anytime you want to be on, there's more to talk about on the subject. So you're welcome to join us here. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And I'm so glad you have um, given me the invitation. I look forward to it. And I'm going to continue to listen to the great work and the other folks that you're going to have on the program in future dates. So thank you. Thank you so much. Take care. You too. This podcast is sponsored by BePreppy.com, a college coaching company. Head over to BePreppy.com for free college success resources and to learn how you can secure a personal college coach. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on all social media channels at BePreppyLLC.